0: Today's reading is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Uh, my name is Seth, this is my sweet wife, Dana Lee, and we're excited to bring God's Word to you today. It says this, In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the forty days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Uh, once he was
1: eating, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout
0: Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room or the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. The word of the Lord. <laughs>
1: Who do people say that Jesus is? Out there in our city, in our surrounding neighborhoods, in our schools, places of business, what would they say? And as we know in the story in Matthew 16, when Jesus was in front of the the gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples the question for them, who do you say that I am? It's an appropriate question for us to even think about today today. Who do you say that Jesus is in the midst of all that's happening around us today and our deeply entrenched ideologies of secularism that is pushing a radical individualism that is placing self as the sole decider of what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is evil? Who do you say that Jesus is? I love that we are able to celebrate baptism this morning. Beck, where you at, buddy? He's upstairs. I love the fact that he came and had the courage in front of a group of people to say, Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. Who do you say that Jesus is? I mean, like, in fact, everything we do here as a church is in direct correlation to the answer to that question, right? Like, everything we do here and should be about is a reflection to that answer that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is why the church exists and why it should exist, and there should be no other reason for it. And I love how Jesus says, he goes, on this rock, I will build my church. On this profession of faith, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not ever prevail. I will build my church on this profession of faith. The church is built. It's not built by us. It's not built by economics. It's not built by politics. It's not built based upon people's opinions. It's not built by cultural fads or entertainment. It's not built by institutions of power. It's built by Jesus Christ and him alone. I will build my church. And these are words that the church needs to return to and oftentimes need to hang on to and really give all that we have to. Jesus loves his church. He loves his bride. And his church is to be a force of good in this world as it joins him and as it submits to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in this grand epic and movement of redemption, of saving the lost, those who are those people who are broke and lost in their sins, dead in their sins caught up in the lies, blinded by satan and the ideologies of this world. Those who feel inadequate, those who are overwhelmed with guilt and shame and do not understand the love of God. Jesus loves his church. I think it's important for us to ask the question, do we do we love his church? Or do we love our concept of church? And that leads me to want to ask you, and even myself, the question for today. How do you see church? What is church for? What are we to do with church? What's the heartbeat behind it? Is church optional? Is it just something you attend? Is it just something that you watch and stream? Like, what is it all about I mean, when Jesus said that he would build his church, what did did he mean? Did he mean that, like, his church would be a one-hour service once a week, that we would gather together for 52 times of the year, maybe 12 if we're lucky? Is that what he had in mind when he stood in front of the gates of hell? That this was what he was going to do? About buildings and landscaping and all that kind of stuff, all those things are fine. But is that what he had in mind when he said, I will build my church? I believe it's important for us and it's time again for us to remember what Jesus is building and why he loves the church. The church is not meant to be a monument unto ourselves that preserves our own ethics and our own type of values and in our own kind of preferences. It's not a monument that we would build up to erect history. It's not an institution of power, of position or privilege church is definitely not meant to be led by us but it's meant to be stewarded by us as we are empowered by the holy spirit the church is built around convictions of belief in who jesus is and what he has done it's a group of people who are caught up in that life change that are so enraptured by the love of god that they're willing to do anything and everything so that other people would know jesus the church is to be a movement not static, because Jesus said that he would build his church, and it's not done. And that's why we're in this series, and I love the way that we're phrasing it, build your church. And the way we're going to say it as a church here at Austin Oaks is we want this to be the cry of our heart where we come together and we say, Jesus, build your church here. Build your church through us. Capture our hearts again. And all throughout the series, as we go through the book of Acts, you're gonna be challenged because you're gonna see some things in here that are gonna challenge you, that might make you feel uncomfortable, which is really good for us as a church and as individuals. We're gonna be challenged by how we see the movement of Jesus Christ take shape. And the challenge is gonna come oftentimes and by the way of this question. Are you gonna be part of the movement Or will you just watch the movement happen? Will you be part of what God is doing? Or will you just live vicariously through what you see? Church is not something that we're supposed to attend. It's something that we are to be swept up in. Where we yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit instead of yielding to our own personal preferences and desires when it comes to the church. So yes, Jesus, build your church here. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Luke brings back up the character named Theophilus. And if you recall, this time last year, we started our journey through the gospel of Luke. And we said that like Dr. Luke kind of wrote two volumes and volume one was the gospel of Luke. And now Acts is volume two. And so we see here a very intriguing introduction. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began. And I want you to notice that word. So if you have a phone, just kind of highlight that. Or if you actually have paper and notes, circle that one. All that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Theophilus, if you remember in my first volume, what I strove to do was to show you, to tell you about all that Jesus began to do and all that Jesus began to teach. That word began implies something. It means that like Jesus didn't mean for the story to end at the ascension. It means there's something else going on. Volume 2 is the picture, and it's the indication that there's more happening. So one of the ways I like to think about this is like, Theophilus, I wrote to you all that Jesus began to do and teach, and also now I'm going to tell you all that he's going to continue to be doing. He's immediately making it known that the work of Jesus is not done. That now there's an invitation to those who profess faith in Jesus to join him in this movement called his church. Jesus began to teach about the kingdom of God, to show the heart of the Father to take on flesh, to come as one of us, to identify as one of us, to live the perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. His body had to be broken and his blood had to be shed so that we could be justified before a holy God, so that we could be declared innocent even though we are not. He took on the wrath of God. That was due to me and due to you. He took that. He paid the price And we saw how then in three days he conquered death in the grave by ensuring victory forever, where death would have no sting, where now we are free to live for him, free from the bondage of sin, free to choose him, and free to choose to love others without obligation or strings attached. He made a way to the Father. He made a way for all of us, if we received this gift of grace by faith, to come alive. To move from death to life. Theophilus, I told you all that he began to do and to teach. There's more, Theophilus. He's not done. He's building his church. And it's upon that rock of profession, of belief, that he is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is all who he said he is. And upon that rock, he will build his church church. So now Theophilus, let me show you how Jesus began to build his church. And immediately you see Luke going into verse 4 as a quick transition of how the movement of God began to take shape. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them, the apostles, to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. That's going to be a key word we're going to come back to. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to him, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, before we unpack the story of Acts, I want us to be um, reminded of what the purpose of the church is. What is Jesus' purpose for the church? And what's his plan For the church, and what's all this talk about power? That we would receive power by the Holy Spirit. For what reason? And so I want us just to understand something that when Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to be about. He knew exactly what the purpose was, and he knew exactly what the plan was. I mean, he's not like all of a sudden like trying to decide and figure out what strategy we need to employ now because each generation kind of develops their own culture and their own ways of doing sin. And Jesus is like, I didn't see that one coming. Man, I don't know how the church is going to prevail through this one. I better figure this out. From the very beginning, he had a clear purpose and a clear plan and the clear ability to give the church the power in order to join him in this mission, the purpose is to simply redeem and restore and save sinners. To call people to repentance, that all who would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved if they believe in their heart and confess it with their mouth, as Paul says in Romans. They would be saved. Jesus even told the Pharisees multiple times in the Gospels that He didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the healthy. He came to redeem and restore and save sinners, people who are stuck in their brokenness, which is all of humanity. We are all trapped by the snares of the devil. We are all blinded from the truth, and we are all dead in our sins. And he came to make a way out of that. But then he has a plan and how to see that purpose through. So when Jesus says that I would build my church, there's a specific plan he has in mind. And the plan is simply this. He's going to build his church through saved people who will go find people. He will build his church by saved people who will go find people. Discipleship calling people to follow Jesus, to witness about what he has done, to tell people, to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's his plan, to use us who make this profession of faith. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this confession that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church. And people who are saved, who understand the depths of their sin and their brokenness, they will fall in love with me. And it's out of that heartbeat of people who are captured by the love of Christ will be the very movement of God on this earth. I love one of the teachings when Jesus was talking about the woman who like poured this perfume on him and people were like, well, what a waste. And I love how he goes on. He's like, listen, she loves much because she's been forgiven much and she understands her salvation. She understands the depth of her humanity and brokenness and she's overwhelmed that Jesus would love her. Like, have you had that experience with Jesus? where you understood, oh my goodness, apart from Christ, I am lost. I am hopeless in my sin. I can't believe he came for me. I can't believe he paid the price for me. People who are overwhelmed by the love of Christ, who are willing to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And yes, over time in the progression of following Jesus, we learn to say no to our flesh and say no to the ways of the world and to begin to live with a singular focus to follow Jesus. Those are the people that Jesus said, I will build my church. It's a movement of people who love Jesus that want to be all about what Jesus was about. Because just like last week, if you were with us, we said, follow me has to mean more than I just believe in Jesus. When we say I follow Jesus, it implies I believe in Jesus, but also that I will do what he's doing and go where he's going. The purpose to redeem and save the lost and his plan is to use people who've been saved, transformed by the love of Christ, to find people. How do we do that? And that's where this talk about the promise of the Father, wait for the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit will come, and you will receive power, and then you will be my witnesses. And I have no doubt in my mind that the disciples, as they heard this, some teachings had to have like, triggered it in their mind. And like part of me wonders if maybe the upper room conversation in John 14 would have showed up in their mind. Because in John 14, like Jesus begins to kind of tell them what's to come. And he's like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. In other words, like I'm going to leave earth and you're going to be behind and they, they kind of like have a little of this grieving but Jesus is like saying and, and when I go to the Father I'm going to send to you the comforter the Holy Spirit and, and it's just because it's I keep asking the question like why? What was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? I go to John 14 verse 12 and I'm just like oh, they had to have understood this. Truly I say to you Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. It's almost as if, like, right there, Jesus is like, you're going to join me in what I'm doing. If you believe in me, this is what it is. And he goes on. And greater works than these will he do, because I go, I'm going to the Father, because I'm leaving, and I'm not going to leave you behind as orphans. The Holy Spirit will come, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you believe you'll do the works, the Holy Spirit will come, and you're going to do greater works. Like, what does that mean? Like, I don't know if you've ever read that, or maybe you heard someone talk about that, and you're like, greater works? Like, how can someone do something greater than Jesus? It's not so much like, in quality, we're going to do something greater than Jesus. I think a significant aspect of the statement is that when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, that was before the cross. It was before the resurrection, and it was before the ascension. And when the promise of the Holy Spirit would come, it's after the cross. It's after the resurrection. And it's after the ascension where real life change now happens. And those who believe, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of them. And now God's going to unleash this movement of God working in people who believe in him. That's the idea of greater works. And that's what he says. Like, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And I can imagine the disciples be like, Jerusalem, I can do. Judea, yeah. Samaria. Do we have to go back <laughs> to the end of the earth, which was code language then for Rome? Rome? The purpose to save the lost. The plan to use saved people to find people, and God's going to give the church the appropriate power, which is Himself, the Holy Spirit. The church is to be a movement. Theophilus, Volume One, All That Jesus Began to Do and to Teach. Volume Two, How the Church Joined Him in What He's Continuing to Do. How do we see church? the question, isn't it? Like when you think of church, what is the purpose? How would you define the church's purpose and its plan, the church's power? And sometimes, if we were honest, we make church into something that it's not meant to be. A lot of times we make church into monuments like we really do. Like, this is about us, and look at us, and all these kind of things, that's for us. And a lot of times people even make church their little self-bomb shelter to stay away from the world. A lot of times we focus so much on church as an institution and care a lot more about the church's brand. And even worse yet, there's times when people in the church and even pastors, like, we prop up people more than we do Jesus, And we can easily forget that the church is to be a movement that's on mission to join Jesus to find and save the lost through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we forget this because, quite frankly, We want the church to serve our needs and to fit our priorities. And we don't want the church to demand too much from us or to ask too much of us. And we don't want the church to call out the dark areas in our hearts that are going to challenge us and make us uncomfortable. So that way we make it about us. The funny thing is, Luke makes it very clear that we're not alone in this. Because right away in verse 6, we see the disciples Immediately, misunderstanding the purpose and misunderstanding the plan. Verse six: When they had come together, they asked him, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" Which you like? You gotta imagine, like Jesus going, "Like we we talked we talked a few times about this guys, right? Like they totally missed it because now they're like logically thinking this makes sense, Jesus." They, they crucified you. Like Rome thought they had power over you. They crucified you. And the Pharisees, they blamed you and accused you of blasphemy, of equating yourself to God. But now you've resurrected. And we know you're the Messiah. And we know the prophecies that said that you would sit on David's throne and that you would bring back your people. So God, would you now, would you like now, I understand now the last three years. We weren't ready yet, but now, Let's do it now, and I'm going to sit on that seat of power next to you. I mean, like, they were still oppressed by Rome. I mean, multiple times Jesus said, guys, the kingdom isn't like any other kingdom. Not so with you. This is going to be a completely different movement. Like, Jesus even taught them, like, you're going to go into all of the world all the world to make disciples. Like how quickly did they forget that Jesus loved Gentiles and wanted to save Gentiles? Oh, Jesus even loved Romans and wanted to save Romans. And they're like, can you just restore Israel now so that way we can have the seat of power? They wanted Jesus to do what they wanted to do. They wanted now Jesus to fit their expectation in their mold. Don't we do that. Like, don't we so quickly forget like what we're about as a church? Like, why are we here? Why do we do what we do? It's so important. The call to follow Jesus is not just, yeah, I believe in Jesus, so I go to church. No, the call to follow Jesus is yes, we believe in him, but we're going to do what he's doing and go where he's going to. We're going to submit ourselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We're going to go find people, invite people into a life changing relationship. We're gonna help people to meet, know, and follow Him. But man, like, like, let's just be honest. We care so often about trivial things that truly just represent consumerism and meism and other things. Like, how many churches have broken and fractured and split over the most trivial of things? We forget the purpose and we forget the plan. And we totally misunderstand the power and the role of the Holy Spirit. And I love Jesus' grace because he is so gentle and he's so merciful that he just basically presents to them a better aspiration. Like he readjusts their minds and their hearts. In verse 7, he goes, hey, you guys, that is none of your concern. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed for his own authority. But look at how he just repurposes, like gives him a greater aspiration, but you will receive. Like there's this essence, like Jesus, will you now send your throne and we'll just be like part of your kingdom? Come on. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria to the end of the earth. Guys, this kingdom of Israel thing, none of your business. It's not your concern. Don't focus on that because that's not the plan. The plan isn't for me to stay and to reestablish the kingdom. The plan is for me to go to the Father so the Holy Spirit would come and the plan is now for you to go. I see this phrase, but you will and you will be as a serious challenge and also a very clear indicator of the purpose and plan of the movement of God. But you will. You will receive the Holy Spirit. If you believe in me and you repent of your sins, the Holy Spirit will come. But you will receive the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes and when he fills you, You will have the power, and then you will be my witnesses. So let's just try something for fun. I'm going to add a little blank there, and I want you just to put your name in. And you will put your name in, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you, cat, just because I see you, will be my witness. You need to read it this way. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, those who believe in me will do what I do, and even greater things will they do. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. In every circumstance, in every situation that you go, in your homes, with your kids, with your neighbors, with your classmates, with your friends around the block, with your colleagues, everywhere you go, You have power to be my witness, but you must wait for it because you won't build my church. You don't come up with the strategy. I will. You submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and then you will go. I know right here at this moment, right here at this moment is where all sorts of excuses, justifications, and other scapegoats start to emerge. I know that. Because I'm guilty of it. Oh, man, I just, I mean, I had a long day. I had to get home. I had to get here. Didn't want to really want to do it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you just go through all of the things. And there was a quote that I've been wrestling with for probably two, three days. I've just been like, do I want to add this into this message? Because it's a strong quote. And I decided, yeah, let's, let's just go for it. And it's from Spurgeon in one of his sermons to his church. And it's in reference to the very topic that we're talking about. Here's what he says, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep the good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. I love that phrase. You will be telling it to your spouse. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. This is the line that's hard. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Whew. Yes, grace abounds, 100%. But sometimes we just need that, that nudge, that kick. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Jesus or else you do not have him at all. Yeah, but da da da. Let me just talk about a few excuses that are very common. Evangelism and sharing Jesus isn't my gift. You're right. It probably isn't. If it was, you wouldn't have asked that question. But it doesn't mean you're off the hook. Because if you believe in him, you will do what he's doing. You will go where he's going. You will do what he do. And you would say what he says. You are witnesses. You are to go make disciples. Well, I witnessed with my life. That's important, but how will they believe if they don't hear? Because faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. And if truth be told, a lot of times the reason why we say that, oh, I'm just going like, to show Jesus by how I live, is oftentimes because we don't want to tell them about Jesus. And yes, I'm not saying that God can't do that. He surely has, 100%. But you just need to check your heart. Are you using it as an excuse? Well, I don't have time. You can wrestle with that one. It makes me feel weird. I don't want to offend. I don't want to sound crazy. Jesus wasn't ashamed to hang on the cross naked for the world to see. We can embrace a little of that awkwardness and weirdness, we can embrace a little bit of the being misunderstood. Jesus was extremely misunderstood well, I don't have what it takes. Let's talk about that one for a moment. 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and then you'll be my witnesses. Without the Holy Spirit, you absolutely do not have what it takes. But if you believe you have the Holy Spirit, are you then saying that His power and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is insufficient? Like, I think about this, and I started immediately thinking about these guys, right? These fishermen, these tax collectors, and these radicals. Like, do you think they imagine, like, how can we do this, God? Like, you're going away. Like, what you, what you expect us to do? Because, like, right away in verse 9, Jesus is like, you're going to go to the end of the earth, and he just drops the mic and ascends. Like, you got to imagine, it's like, it's like that moment. I remember that moment in the hospital after we had Cora and we were like there I'm like this is amazing the nurses and doctors take care of everything. I can raise a child like this and then after like a couple days they're like it's time for you to go home you're like what? Well, you you're trusting me with a human. Like you have that moment you know it's coming but then when it actually comes you're like that's this moment. How are we, why are we supposed to do this? Because Jesus didn't give, really give him a game plan or a blueprint. He just said, wait, the Holy Spirit will come, and when he comes, you'll get power, and then you're going to be my witnesses. He goes up, and I think for like the next few verses here in Acts tell us something about God's grace. Verse 9 And when he said these things, they were looking on. He was lifted high, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood, them in white robes. Angels. Okay, when God sends angels, people freak out, or there's like a really, like, reason why they came. Here are these guys who just got the most important message in the world, who immediately probably go, I don't have what it takes. Where are you going? And Jesus is like, it's on you. But I'm going to give you the Spirit so it's not really on you. And they're stuck in this moment and God sent angels and they're like, hey guys, stop looking up. Didn't he tell you to do something? Well, yeah, but he's going to come back. Hey, come on, let's go. I'm like, that's, that's so encouraging because how many times do we need God to nudge us out of our complacency to nudges out of our fear, to even like nudges to the point of like repentance where we have to confess that we've made church about us and we've like made so many excuses and justifications as to why we don't want to witness and why we don't want to pray. He sends that nudge. What did he say? He said, Wait. Because the Holy Spirit will come in a few days. So what do they do? They go to the upper room. And in verse 13 and 14 tells us that they continually, constantly devoted themselves to praying. Like this word wait wasn't like they just sat around passively streaming on Hulu, eating Cheetos and fishing. Like that wasn't it. That idea of waiting was praying. For how long? Jesus just said, it's gonna come in a few days. They didn't know, but they kept praying and they kept praying because he said, wait, wait. And so we're gonna pray and we're gonna pray. And as they were praying, it was in that moment of praying that I believe that God was able to readjust their hearts. I believe it was in that moment of praying where fear finally gave way to faith. And it was in that moment of praying where they were the hoist, the sails of their faith, waiting for the wind of God, the Holy Spirit, to fill it and to direct them. They were there waiting and God united them because together they're like, we're in Jesus. We're in And we're going to pray with persistence until it comes. And we're going to pray with expectancy. I guarantee you they were praying for the promise of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you they were praying for their mission. I promise you they were worshiping him. And this is the pattern that we as an American church need to wrestle with when it comes to the church. You will see this in Acts over and over and over. They pray. They go. They pray. They go they go. They pray, they go. We hate waiting. We like action items. We want to check the thing off. Praying can feel like a colossal waste of time in a lot of ways. But when churches have prayer meetings, we're like, eh, it's optional. Not a really big deal. Whatever it is. Or even times like in our own prayer, we don't pray for the loss like we're exhorted to in the Gospels. But this is so vital to the life of the church. Pray, Go pray, go. It's a posture of submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as we join him as he builds his church. So I end with this thought. The church can never plan a move of God. Period. We can't. God will do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. But what we can do is prepare for a move of God. And we prepare by praying, by abiding, by consuming Scripture, by worshiping. And as we continue to pray, He readjusts our hearts, fear gives way to faith. And just like we said last time, our hearts follow our prayers and what burdens God's heart will eventually burden our hearts. And so that's why this year we feel, as we've been looking through this, it's like, God, you're calling us to a year of witness and prayer. We want to heighten that. We want to focus on that. We want to be people who do pray. And so we just started massaging this in. We want to be people who are focusing on prayer. And so I want to ask you this question as we end. How do you see church? And I want you to hear this morning that Jesus invites you to join him on this mission. And when you do, I promise you, you will discover your purpose like you never have. You understand significance and meaning as you never have because you're going to be caught up in a greater story. You will see God do things in you and through you. Yeah, but Brandon, I don't, I can't, I got it. One of my favorite parts of scripture in scripture in the book of Acts we're going to get to, they were, the, the Pharisees and people were so amazed that Peter, James, and John and other people were flipping the world upside down. They're like, they're uneducated. They're Minnesotans. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> They're uneducated. They're just fishermen. Like, how are they doing this? To which I'm like, they were like, I, it ain't us. And they said they took note that they were with Jesus. Will we be a church that's willing to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and pray and be willing to embrace that power that God has given us to be witnesses in our world? Because that's how Jesus wants to build his church. That's his plan. Saved people, find people as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's be a people who follow Jesus that will be known as flipping this city upside down for him and his glory. Jesus, build your church here. Lord, I thank you for your word. And God, I ask that you... Would stir us and move us as a church out of complacency? God, would you forgive us for the moments where we've decided to sit on the sidelines? God, would you again pour out your grace? God, would you even like just nudge us, nudge us forward? To do the thing that we already know that you're calling us. Some of us already know that we should be like sharing Jesus with whoever it is. Some of us already know we should be praying for certain things. And we've chosen not to. God, would you forgive us of that? And Holy Spirit, would you be relentless on us until we say yes? Lord, I ask that you would move. God, I ask that you would stir us up. God, I ask that you would unite us. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a passion for your name. And God, would you send us out? Make us dependent upon you. You will build your church we partner with. Thank you for the opportunity to be a witness. In Jesus' name, amen.